Hey, how you doing, Ignite City Church? Um, hey, a couple things from our reading from this morning, um, or from today. It's out of 1 Samuel 17 and 18. Uh, just a couple quick things. Um, and by quick, I hopefully mean that. <laughs> so the first one, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25. Um, and this is where um, the Israelites are getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines, and yet there's Goliath, this nine-foot eight inch giant or nine foot nine inch giant um and I, and I was reading through the scriptures this morning i think his his uh his armor weighed 125 pounds the end of his spear the spearhead was 15 pounds um and then when you look at uh the word champion um because he's mentioned as a champion in uh verse four i think it was verse four um it actually kind of means destroyer or a man of destruction or one who causes destruction and death. And so this is not some, uh, this is not some novice, and this is not someone who's just trying to get his his uh, his feet wet in the in the well in the biblical MMA time. <laughs> so uh, so I mean this is a giant man, and he is pretty much mocking every Israelite soldier, uh, the whole army. He's mocking God. Um, but every time he's coming out and saying, "Hey, I'll just go one on one. Whoever whoever wins, that's the that's the uh, uh, that's the group that wins. That's the army that wins." And so um, it is. It's a big deal when you get to chapter seventeen, verse twenty-five, and David has shown up and he's just there to see his brothers and to check to see that they're okay, uh, to bring them some food, and he goes right to the front line to see what's going on. Um, and he hears Goliath come out and taunt. And in verse 25, says that uh, he finds out what happens for the person who defeats Goliath. It says, The king will make the man who kills Goliath very rich and will give him his daughter. Uh, the king will uh, also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes. So, uh, of paying taxes in Israel. And so what I've always read uh, is hearing people, commentators and scholars say that David's probably around the age of 15 or so. Um, and he hears what you get if you beat Goliath. You hear that you're going to be rich and you get to marry uh, the king's daughter, which is a pretty big deal. And your family has no taxes. And so it's really money and a girl. <laughs> but you see his heart. His heart behind is like no one's going to mock God. Like how dare you mock God? But here's the part that hit me. It says the king will make the man who kills Goliath. And then he says this is what's going to happen. But when you look back in chapter 8... Uh, and this is the this is the chapter when the people of Israel are asking for a king like all the other nations had. Uh, Samuel's getting old, and his sons aren't really they're not really men of integrity. But they make this excuse: "Well, we want to look like all the other nations." Um, and so, when you get to verse twenty, you you notice what it is that they want a king for. Uh, notice it says, "Then we'll be like all the other nations." That's the heartbeat. And then this is what the king's going to do: Our king will judge us. Go out before us and fight our battles. And all right here in chapter 17, you don't see a king going out to fight battles. You actually see a king waiting for someone to fight his battles. And so really what they were wanting, Saul was not that person. And in this battle, Saul was not the person that they said, well, this is why we want a king. And so it was, it was a failure. Uh, it was a failure. It was a failure of the people of Israel wanting to replace God who went before them, the God who, that God who went and fought their battles, that God who would have no worry or concern with regards to Goliath. They replaced him. They rejected God as king to bring in a person who king who was supposed to go fight battles but wouldn't and didn't but actually expected everyone else to fight his. 
And so that was one thing that stood out to me. The second one was chapter 8, verse 9. And this is after David's been brought on to be part of Saul's army. He's commander. Um, and, he, and everything that he does, he, he succeeds at. Why? Because And it says a couple times, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. It was obvious that the Lord is with him. The men in the army loved to fight alongside David because he was such an incredible leader. But also the key part is that the Lord, the Lord was with him. But in verse 9, um, I'm sorry, right before verse 9, uh, as David's coming back and he's going to see Saul, um, uh, and it says the, the, some of the women came out and they started singing and dancing. And they had tambourines and they made this song um, and, and it got to the ears of Saul. Uh, and so uh, when you pick up in verse 6, as the troops were coming back when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the woman came out, I'm sorry, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul. Now they wanted to see King Saul. It doesn't say they came out to meet David, but they came out to meet King Saul singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. And so David and Saul coming in together. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And what was, what was Saul's response to that? Verse 8, Saul was furious and resented this song. He, they credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? He, already, he, he automatically jumps into a place of jealousy. And I mean, and it kind of makes sense that this is the same guy a couple chapters back who, after, after a battle, he made a monument to himself. It's like, I'm making a monument to me so everyone can notice me and remember me. And so he's really gotten pretty self-centered. And then David's getting more credit than he is by thousands. And then you get to verse 9. It says, So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. And I remember um, Pastor Glenn at Purpose Church, when, he was, when I was part of Purpose Church, um, he always brought up David and Saul. And he's the perfect example of what Saul is not like. Like Glenn is not that guy. And he never really wanted to push uh, himself. He was always trying to make us better. Uh, he's always trying to elevate us at, at, uh, and give us opportunities, but to never take the credit. And I've never forgotten that. And, and so I just, I put this in my journal. Um, I said, God, please keep me far from the ugliness of jealousy. Please infuse me with humility and surround me with people who are better than I am to accomplish your will. Teach me, please, how to become less so that I can elevate others to what you call them to do and to be. And so I just remember Pastor Glenn just kind of being the, an example of that. Another pastor that I know, Brent Eldridge, um, he does the same thing. He just really elevates those who are around him. And I want to be that person. Um, and so the challenge for all of us is have we allowed jealousy uh, to take over? Do we look at others and become jealous of them to where all of a sudden, we, instead of them being the perfect teammate uh, or the perfect person that we work with or... Um, fellow student or whatever, whatever it is, we, because, we can, we, because we can become jealous of them, do we look at them with caution? Or do we look at them, um, be, do we look at them through the lens of jealousy, which causes us to not like them? And so I don't ever want to be like that. And we should never be like that, especially as followers of Jesus. We should just do what we're called to do simply um, and in obedience to God and let God handle the rest. And that makes it much more simple. So I'm hoping that this is a challenge, especially for all of us, that we'd, be, that we'd strive to, to want to be humble 
and exalt others around us as we're all bringing glory to Jesus because it really does come down to him and not to us. And so that's the challenge. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting that the, that the king that they, that they wanted uh, in order that the king would go before them and fight their battles was the one that was standing behind them waiting for others to fight his. Friends, may we be the type of people who are willing uh, to stand in, in the gap, to be the people in the front not expecting everyone else to do what God has called us to do, but to, to do our part. But also, let's be honest enough, and I, and, and I, I get it. I mean, if I had a nine, nine and a half foot giant standing in front of me, I'd be pretty nervous. But I also want to make sure that I'm not replacing God in my life with someone or something else, thinking that that person or that, or that, um, that group is the new savior. And I guess, and this thought just came to my mind, as we get closer and closer to election time here in, I think it's in June, and then a, about a year after that or so, we're going to start seeing um, presidential elections starting up. We need to remember that no matter who we vote in, and be passionate about voting if you want, uh, be passionate about being citizens and being able to, being able to be involved in um, the election process, but the person that you vote for is never called or never allowed to replace God in our lives, that God is the ultimate king and savior of everything. No person on the planet, no matter what position they have, is the savior. We trust in God no matter what, no matter who's in power. So let's do our part, but not replace or reject God in the process. All right, friends, love you more than you know. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you later.